Investing made easy and cool. And, and I know this is an Easy Equities podcast, so this is going to sound like I've been paid to plug this, but I absolutely haven't. I think that Easy Equities made it possible because suddenly it, it was possible to build a diversified portfolio at a very, very low cost. When I was in my investment banking days, firstly, it was difficult to invest because you had to declare everything. You're always sitting on inside info about companies, so then you can't trade in those. You can have a position in something and the CEO walks in the next day, needs to speak to you about a deal, and now you're stuffed. You can't sell, you can't buy, you can't do anything for a year or whatever the case may be because now you know too much. So it's really hard to do single stocks when you're working in that environment. So I just did like ETFs every month and actually focus on paying off my bond, which I actually recommend to people is like get a dent in your debt first and then and then start playing around in the markets. Welcome to Easy Desert, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications. Your cool guide to investing. Easy. <laughs> My name is DJ At Large and welcome to the Easy Does It Podcast, your cool guide to investing. On today's episode of Cooking Up a Great Portfolio with an Investor, things get a little spooky. Ooh. Ooh. I just got some goosebumps because we're hanging out with the finance ghost and getting a sneak peek into his investment portfolio. The finance ghost has spent over a decade stalking the finance market and also used to be an investment banker. More importantly, the finance ghost is passionate about financial education and helping people to make better decisions with their investments and businesses. Finance Ghost, welcome to the Easy Does It podcast, brother. Thank you very much. I'm going to have to work on the intros for my own podcasts and, and bring in some of that uh, that magic that I just witnessed right now. Oh, man. Where are you currently based? Uh, which part of the country are you currently stalking? So I live in Cape Town. I grew up in Joburg, but I'm down here now. I lived here for about seven years, I think it is. So yeah, I think I'm acclimatized now. It, it feels far when I'm driving five kilometers, which is always the first sign that you're now a Cape Townian, is when that feels like a long drive. So yeah. I think I can't now. So at least you've given us the first hint as to who you are. We know you're somewhere in Cape Town. (laughs) So before we start cooking up a great portfolio, I've got a random money question for you, right? If you were tasked with creating a brand new currency for South Africa, what would you call it? So I think I'd call it the Rattler, which is what all the currency traders like to call it. And the reason they call it that is because the Rand is so volatile and it changes direction so quickly and sharply. So I think it's a bit of a term of endearment but I think it's also it's a bit of a widow maker in the in the world of trading as well but actually having said that I attended a macroeconomics presentation recently and the presenter said that the rand is not as heavily traded by international players as it used to be so maybe some of that volatility is coming down you know and then maybe another alternative would be uh, EZUX and then FNB and, and Facebook can just integrate immediately because I've seen uh, some stuff online about a Facebook currency coming through so EZUX is surely an opportunity there yeah I definitely like those options they're really really cool uh, I'd like to keep you on your investment toes uh, by playing a game so it's a game of never have I ever uh, I've got three statements I'm assuming you've played this game before uh, I have but not with any investing questions ah oh, lovely alright so the first statement is never have I ever sold a stock because I had a gut feeling. So you have a gut feeling about a stock, a particular company, and you decide I'm actually going to sell. I have, and it was a mistake. As it so often is with that kind of thing, I sold a Sassol, I know, in uh, December 2020. Oh, shocker, no, worst trade of my life. No. So I made a lot of money on Sassol, but I could have made a lot more money on Sassol. So pro tip is don't trade while you have COVID, kids, because I had COVID at the time. 
And I was very worried about another big global lockdown and what might happen to the oil price. And oh, it was, yeah, it's uh, not a great choice. But I always say to people, you know, if you show me someone in the market who says they've never had a bad trade, I'll show you a liar. It's just not, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. So, you know, it's one of those things you learn from it and you yeah. move on. And you move on, exactly. So onto the second one. Never have I ever bought a stock because of social media hype. So genuinely never. And sometimes to my own detriment because I've actually missed out on a few by believing they might be overhyped. So you go and do the work and you think, mm, you know what, this doesn't really, you know, meet my requirements. It's not really what I'm looking for. But the reality is that a lot of trade in the market is around sentiment. So if lots of people on social media really like something, it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, especially on the JSC where, you know, there's a lot of smaller companies. You don't need lots of trade to move the price. I mean, genuinely, I haven't. And sometimes I think I've lost out as a result, but I kind of have a system and I stay true to that. And that works for me. So the last one is never have I ever showed off my investment portfolio online. So I genuinely haven't. Uh, not in its entirety. So what I do is because my whole platform is around investor education and telling people what I'm doing right and wrong or, or you know, good and bad. I mean, I'm not shy to say, hey, I made a mistake here. Uh, obviously, there I use the real world examples. You know, hey, I bought this company and check it out. It worked. And I said it would work because of X and Y. Or I bought this and it hasn't worked. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, no, I'm definitely not one of those people who likes to put the entire thing online and lots of you know screenshots of everything and how wonderful all the money is and all of that that's not my vibe but i do use trade examples to you know just help explain stuff yeah i i completely agree with you i think from an educational point of view it it definitely makes sense uh, finance ghost i'm very interested in your money story right so what encouraged you to start investing to get into that space and how did the finance ghost come about why are you anonymous that's what i'd like to know yeah, so that's the most asked question, of course, and it's a great question. So just before the pandemic, literally, I think it was February 2020, I had left investment banking. I'd been in a kind of corporate role at that stage for probably eight, nine months. And I'd realized by then that, you know, this isn't really what I want to do with my life. I think when you've got that burning desire inside you to build and create something of value, it's very hard to switch that off. You can try as much as you like, but it's very, very hard to wake up in the morning and switch that off. And I've always loved writing and I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe I can mess around with this concept of this cartoon character that actually writes on very serious topics, but just brings it down by being this cool, approachable, fun thing. I mean, you don't have to look far in the market to find someone in a suit and tie on TV. And I get it. And there's lots of reasons for that. And it's important in the institutional space. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, it doesn't make it as accessible for people if it's yet another suit and tie and my face and everything else. So I thought, no, let's do something really cool. I think I was somewhat inspired by a brand like Hippo Insurance. Everyone knows that brand, right? Mm. And they know it because it's a cartoon and it's silly and they remember it. So at the time I was ghost writing for a few clients, which means writing blogs for them, a couple of wealth management type clients. And I, you know, just a bit of a side gig income and I enjoy writing. And I thought, well, there's maybe there's something in that concept of ghost writing you know, maybe there's this concept of the finance ghost as a brand. So obviously I spoke to a few friends and as usual, you know, some of them give you the kind of polite, oh yeah, that's okay. A really good friend of mine who's also an entrepreneur told me it was the dumbest idea he's ever heard. He subsequently <laughs> bought me lunch six months later to say sorry. And we're still very good mates. You need that kind of feedback. Um, and on the whole, people thought it was cool. So I started it on Facebook and literally all I used to do was actually read the sends announcements that day and I would write something about them, you know, a couple of paragraphs. This is something I read today that I thought was cool. 
There's a lot of stuff people don't know about the world. They don't even realize that Steers and Debonairs is owned by the same listed company. So I started with really basic stuff. And at the time, I wasn't that fussed about being anonymous. I used to share it on my own Facebook page. So a lot of the people who were friends with me at the time, now they know who the ghost is. Now these days, I don't tell anyone. So it's kind of weird when you make new friends and they want to know what you do for a living and you have to kind of talk around the issue and they leave wondering if you're an abalone smuggler or if little brown packets leave your garage because they can't understand what you do for a living. But anyway, I started out on Facebook and then a good mate of mine gave me the advice to get onto Twitter because truthfully, I'd never been on Twitter before being on Twitter as the ghost. I didn't even really know how it works. So that was a nice learning curve. And that was probably the single best piece of advice I've been given maybe in my life, actually, because from there, everything started to take off. And I nearly gave up. I was on Twitter for like a month and a half with very little traction. It's very hard to start from zero. And I kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And then I remember the seminal moment where Mark Hassenfuss from Financial Mail retweeted one of my articles and the share price moved the next morning. And it can only really have been that because it was on a small cap. And then he got hold of me and he said, listen, would you like to write for Investors Monthly, which is the Financial Mail supplement every month? And I think that was my rest is history moment. I mean, you must understand for me, 10 years ago, I was at Varsity reading Financial Mail Campus, you know, and now I've had a bunch of cover stories, um, a standing weekly column. It's like one of those really cool full circle moments. And uh, I think from there, it really started. So I'm anonymous because it actually became a brand. And I don't think anyone is more surprised than me, but it's like, if I stopped doing that, if it was suddenly my face instead of a purple ghost, then it would kind of lose some of the magic. And what's really funny is sometimes someone figures it out. So they've either been an avid listener of Magic Markets and they recognize the voice, believe it or not, or, you know, someone at the table lets it slip. And then there's this incredible moment where they say, oh, the Financial Mail writer or, you know, the Magic Markets podcast or are you that guy who writes Insconnect every morning? And then they have this really fun moment where they've figured it out, you know, and then it's a big deal. Anyway, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Honestly, it's just a lot of fun. There's nothing more to it than that. And what encouraged me to start investing? So truthfully, and, and I know this is an Easy Equities podcast, so this is going to sound like I've been paid to plug this, but I absolutely haven't. I think that Easy Equities made it possible because suddenly it, it was possible to build a diversified portfolio at a very, very low cost. When I was in my investment banking days, firstly, it was difficult to invest because you had to declare everything. You're always sitting on inside info about companies, so then you can't trade in those. You can have a position in something and the CEO walks in the next day, needs to speak to you about a deal, and now you're stuffed. You can't sell, you can't buy, you can't do anything for a year or whatever the case may be because now you know too much. So it's really hard to do single stocks when you're working in that environment. So I just did like ETFs every month and actually focus on paying off my bond, which I actually recommend to people is like get a dent in your debt first and then and then start playing around in the markets. And then genuinely when Easy Equities came around, it, it created this opportunity to actually build this portfolio. So I started my single stock investing at a very similar time to when I started the finance ghost. Obviously I came into it with the insights from my life in investment banking. I'm a chartered accountant by profession. But that's kind of when my single stock investing journey started and in ETFs would have been maybe three, four years prior. As you're building your investment portfolio, this finance ghost persona is starting to grow and it's starting to build its own community. So it's just such a beautiful thing that these things were happening uh, at the same time. It's very authentic. And as much as it's a cartoon ghost, I think the authenticity is what people like. It's because I've shared that journey with people throughout. And I've been very honest about this and said like, you know, this is me. Like people know I have a kid, I'm married, they know I like cars. I like to give them these tidbits into my life so that even though it's a ghost, 
people feel like they know something about me, which I think is cool. You know, I am at the end of the day just a very ordinary person. So in terms of you now getting onto Easy Equities, what was your first share that you ever bought and are you still holding on to that share? Yes, you're going to love this story. So uh, you may recall in March 2020, the markets basically tanked hard because of COVID lockdowns. I think it was around the 20th of March. I'm going to get it run by a couple of days. The market absolutely collapsed. And I looked at this and because I'd spent a few years focusing on paying down my bond, I had like a decent amount of money sitting in my access bond and available to me. And I watched this happen and I thought, okay, there's only one of two outcomes here. Either the market never recovers, in which case, quite frankly, the least of my worries is my money because we're all going to be farming potatoes in our gardens and trying not to fight for food. It's going to be like Mad Max scenes, you know, or the market's going to recover and I'll kick myself for the rest of time that I never had a punt here. So I distinctly recall one afternoon at work, I created the Easy Equities, and again, it's quite quick and easy to create an account. And I was watching this happen and I almost emptied, this is not advisable, just to be very clear. I almost emptied my access bond into the market. We're talking like a decent amount of money after that crash. So in the end, it turned out to be a very good decision. I distinctly recall going home and explaining this to Mrs. Ghost. And uh, she kind of looked at me with that like fear in her eyes. So my wife is a foundation phase school teacher and there's a lot of things she's incredibly good at and talented at, but her financial knowledge is, you know, she's not in this game. So she just said to me, so let me get this straight. Everything we've said for the last five years, you just bet on the market. And I was like, I mean, you could summarize it like that. I'm not sure I would, but you know, you're not Ron. And anyway, it worked out okay in the end. So I have no idea what the first stock was that I pulled the trigger on. And I'm embarrassed to say that in those scenarios, You don't have time to go and research 20 stocks when the market has absolutely shed value and Sassol and stuff has just been destroyed. At some point in time, you just have to actually look at this and say, well, practically speaking, this is ridiculous. I don't need to know if Sassol is like slightly cheap or very cheap or marginally cheap. It's just obvious to me that this is stupid. I'm going to buy. I think that afternoon I must have bought 20 or 30 stocks because my other assumption was I don't know in the pandemic who's going to come through this thing or not. Mm. So instead of betting the farm and saying, well, here's three stocks that I think are, are definitely going to do amazingly well, we just rather buy 20 or 30. If those 30 companies go bankrupt, we've got much bigger problems than my investment portfolio and what I owe Investec on my bond. So that was the logic that I applied there. I cannot tell you which stock was first. I have absolutely no idea. And uh, do I still own it? So I own almost everything I bought in that that afternoon because I tried to buy quality stuff so I own yeah probably 90% of those stocks still I I heard a little rumor that uh, you're into classic cars they make you uh, weak at the knees is that true that would be quite right so I always say to people it's the investment you can enjoy on a Sunday so I've got a 1969 Alfa Romeo it is my absolute baby bought just before I got married again shame up her wife she knew what she was getting into she can never say otherwise because literally weeks before we got married my best mate said to me listen I know you You've always wanted one of these. He literally found it in a garden in Boxburg. I mean, that is a completely true story. And he was kind of running past and he saw it through the gate and he left a note for them years prior and said, if you ever want to sell this car, get hold of me. And they kept the note and they kind of got hold of him. At the time, he couldn't pull the trigger. And he said to me, look, if you have the means to do it, please get it. And it was garbage. It was a, it was an empty shell, basically. The engine was at a different house. The gearbox was in a black bin next to the car. I mean, it was a proper project. And I just distinctly remember taking my wife and her dad, I think, and my dad as well, along to look at it. And I needed to borrow money from my father-in-law to buy it because we'd spent everything on the wedding and honeymoon. We were like, 
I mean, you'll never be poorer than the week before your wedding. That's <laughs> when all the money is gone. Right? But these things don't come along very often. It is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I just think you remember just looking at this thing in pieces and saying to, or she was waiting for me to say, oh, this is a terrible idea. You know, why did we even come here? And instead I said to her, this is perfect. Like, this is exactly what I want. And uh, she's an only child, so her dad never got to do the kind of father-son vibes. So I think he was only too keen for that. He thankfully was happy to lend me the money. I mean, if I think back now, it really wasn't much at all. Like, it was a laughable amount. But to me at the time, it was a lot. Rebuilt the thing over years now. And it's actually been a very good investment. So again, same principles you apply to your portfolio, you can apply to a lot of things. You know, rather than trying to do the work myself and mess it up, I've paid the best guys in the business to build it because now it's worth much more than I've spent on it because it was built by professionals. So that's actually been a great investment and it's something that I get to also just really enjoy. Out of interest, uh, what do ghosts eat? Pizza. <laughs> lots and lots as of As much pizza. pizza as I can get away with, which is sadly not that much these days. Uh, I try and eat a bit healthily, but if I can, a pizza. So let's get into your investment portfolio and we're going to start with your strategy, right? How would you describe your investment strategy? So there's a guy called Peter Lynch and he's written a bunch of books and Again, I didn't realize that I invested like him because again, I, I don't come from this background of always wanting to be in asset management and running my own money and all of that. So I wasn't the guy who went and read Warren Buffett's letters every year for 20 years. You know, I've met a bunch of people like that and I always feel slightly embarrassed because they always assume I'm like that. And I was reading stories of how Airbnb started and Nike and startups are actually my, my biggest passion, to be honest, which is probably why I do this. Uh, but there's a guy called Peter Lynch and I read his book over December last year as recommended to me and it's amazing how close my style is to what he used to do so I don't know if he had a slight value bias but I certainly do and what that means is I definitely look at the fundamentals of the company you know I'm not one of those storyboard investors don't worry Tesla is going to be the only electric car in the whole world in 10 years time you know I, I have a strong grounding in not just common sense but also the numbers you can see today but having said that I'm also not a deep value investor who's never prepared to invest in tech companies and growth stories and that kind of thing you know I look at everything on merit and just think to myself okay is this good on its own merits you know if it's a great growth company I'll buy it if it's a great value company I'll buy it I'm not that keen on, on being one or the other so it's about paying the right price for the right asset and Peter Lynch just used to look at, you know, the growth over the next couple of years and just say, well, what, what growth am I paying for? Is it fair or not? No matter what kind of company it is, whether it's a factory or whether it's a new piece of software. And it's a nice way to do it because you kind of take the emotion out of it, in my opinion. You're just treating this thing on merit and making a decision accordingly. And the other thing about my investment portfolio that is very similar to him and most similar to him, Peter Lynch would not go and spend a month researching a stock and then put 40% of his money into it. And I'm definitely like that too. You know, for me, I like having a very diversified portfolio. If I put something new into my portfolio, it's like a one and a half percent position. Because I don't believe that over time, if you keep putting 30 or 40% of your money into stuff, you're gonna get it right every time. People look at Warren Buffett as examples of this. Look at the power of concentration. Yeah, sure. For every Warren Buffett, there are another 100 Warren who knows who, who didn't make it. And actually they put all their money into something that went bust, you know, and went home and, and had to tell their spouse and that was the end of their marriage. So it's very easy. Survivorship bias is a, is a big problem um, and people need to be careful of that. Same story with like a Richard Branson, you know, the way he built his startups is not the way to do it actually. Because yes, it worked for him, but he's the, he's the outlier. You know, it's not the right way to do it. So my view is don't back yourself to be a hero and pick a hill to die on. I wrote a column in FM a few weeks ago about rather have many hills to die on. 
and that's my portfolio. If one of my companies goes goes to zero, it's going to be super irritating. In percentage terms, less so. In absolute terms, it's going to really burn, but it's not going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Whereas these high concentration portfolios, if you get one wrong, if you're sitting on a Steinhoff at the time that it gets absolutely smashed. Well, that's it. I mean, you're never getting that money back. It's finished. Ghost, for those who are new to investing, what would you say are the key ingredients to cooking up a great portfolio? So without doubt, spend your time learning rather than pressing trading buttons. Uh, I can't stress that enough. You cannot read enough. That's the number one thing. The best asset managers who I meet, and I'm very grateful to have been able to meet some of these people in the last sort of year and a half. It's, it's been really cool to get to know them and how they operate. They spend an incredible amount of time reading. So that's critical. You know, at some point you also need to get on with it though. You can't sit on the sidelines for the rest of time and that's something that Easy Equities makes possible is you can start with a very small amount of money. And again, I'm not being paid to say this, genuinely, I'm a big fan of the Easy Equities business. You can take your lunch money and you can start. And I think that's wonderful, really, really wonderful. So you can go and read stuff, you can form a view, you can say to yourself, okay, I either think this is gonna go up or not, time to act on that view. And do it. Act on it. Do it with an amount of money that you're comfortable with. Not comfortable losing. People say only invest with money you're willing to lose. It's terrible advice. Like you should not ever lose the whole thing unless you are literally either doing trading. So you're trading like CFDs on leverage. Then you can lose all your money. Sure. But even if you bought Steinhoff before the crash, you still haven't lost all your money. You've lost like 95% of your money or whatever it is, but you didn't lose everything. It's very hard for it to go to zero. The company literally needs to go bankrupt. So if you're investing in proper stuff with good diversification, you don't need to think like that. It's actually a very negative way of thinking. I hate that don't invest unless it's money you're prepared to lose. It's not gambling. You're not taking your cash to Monte Casino and putting it on black or red. And then most importantly, track what's happening. Like see if it's playing out the way you thought it would. And then do it again and then do it again and then do it again. And don't be shy to change your mind. Don't do it on a whim. Lots of people have lost a lot of money by being very stubborn. And I can be guilty of that too. We all have our personal little quirks i don't like to buy a share again when i've owned it before which is really stupid you know you can date the same share twice but i have for some reason i struggle to get my own psychology around that and by following some really great traders on twitter and that kind of thing you realize the other psychological stuff that other people deal with and again that comes into the reading you know get onto twitter you would be mad not to be on twitter if you are passionate about investing there's so much on there to learn and then one of the other things i always suggest to people is don't become too much of one or the other on technical analysis versus fundamentals. So fundamentals means unpacking the financials and the strategy about the company itself. So delving into Sasol and understanding what makes it tick. The technicals are looking at Sasol's chart and saying, okay, where are the support and resistance levels? What are the moving averages doing? That's what traders do. The combination is more powerful than anything else. So in Magic Markets Premium, which I do with Mohamed Nalo, I think is going to be on the show as well. That's what we do is we look at the fundamentals and we look at the technicals and we actually did a recap show last week of three of the reports that we did back in November. So now there's been a few months in the market for it to play out. And we didn't cherry pick, we genuinely got all three right because you're looking at the technicals, you're looking at the fundamentals, it's a deep understanding and obviously we have a lot of experience and we still get it wrong from time to time, of course we do, but it's that learning process and having as many analytical tools in your toolbox as you can. So it's it's a journey. And it needs to be thought of like that. You know, I've recently started learning how to play piano. I decided that's something I want to do this year. And it's a little bit like that. You're horrible when you start and you get a little bit better and you get to a point where you're okay. And then you realize how hard this actually is. 
and then you realize this is a lifelong pursuit if you really want to get good at it. Investing is not different to that. Getting a little bit of some skin in the game by you know, downloading the Easy Equities app and, and getting started and then tracking and reviewing and not being stubborn, diversifying. I think you've mentioned so many amazing things that are really great ingredients to, to cooking up a portfolio. So that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with the finance ghost. <laughs> Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Desert podcast. A big shout out to you for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter and Insta. Our handle is at Easy Equities.